0: Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, I'd like to welcome all of you to today's podcast interview. So this is a great one. I'm super excited because I've known Ken since 1996. And I want you to know that. Um, so I got to share with you really quick before I introduce Ken or have Ken introduce himself. Um, when Matt and I were first married, we'd been married a year <clears throat> and we moved to a small town in Oregon and we lived in this carpenter aunt disgusting stinky scary apartment <laughs> because it was the cheapest in town and ken was the elders quorum. were you the elders quorum president ken
1: i was the, i was the elders quorum president correct yes
0: and he and his wife and their little daughter rachel came over to the house to our apartment and i literally wanted to cry cuz i felt so alone it was just a dark damp place And Ken and Gina brought so much light into that apartment by showing up and giving us hope that it's going to be okay. And welcome to the ward. And we're so glad you're here. So that was my first introduction to Ken. And let me tell you, it's just gotten better over the years. So Ken has a story about um, returning to the faith, like, and and I want you all to hear it. And so Ken, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Good to be here.
0: Okay. So Ken, can you share with everybody a little bit about where you grew up and a little bit about your family, your childhood family?
1: Okay. Yeah, I grew up in a little town on the Oregon coast. Um most of you or if you're familiar with Oregon at all would be familiar with Newport. Um I wasn't I didn't grow up right in Newport, but I grew up in a little logging town about 7 miles inland and if I ever tell anybody the name they 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 they, they kind of look at me funny and they don't recognize it but uh, I grew it's, a, a, it's a great Toledo.
0: name though Ken it's a great name
1: well even people in Oregon would be like Toledo Ohio <laughs> yeah like, no <laughs> so I just say Newport um yeah. yeah so I grew up there my family had been there for um oh I don't know um my dad was uh, <clears throat> pretty much raised there excuse me, and uh, I had grandparents that lived close by that I had a good uh, relationship with and loved them. Uh, small town of like 3,000 people, like I said, a little logging community. Um, great place to grow up, and I had, you know, a great, some some great parents and a great experience with, with them. Um, but, uh, you know, the church was small there. Um, I can remember that uh, growing up, my 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 mom was a member of the church. She was inactive um, until I was probably about eleven, turning twelve, and then um, she had a visiting teacher that came by and and got her to come out to church. And so we started going to church. Uh, a couple of years later, my dad was baptized. Oh but wow! The, the, yeah, the church was really small. Um, you know, there um, I I remember. I remember, as I got a little older into my teen years, um, they were really wanting to get their own building because we had a church building, but it wasn't the standard church building. It was like a was some other church's building that we had rented. got, I don't know, purchased. I'm not sure what what it was, but it wasn't you know a typical LDS um, building. So, um,
0: so Ken, I, when I just, you were when you were 11, 12. Did you start going to young men's and did you have a good youth group that you participated in?
1: Well, (laughs) there really wasn't much of a youth group. So I was just going to tell you that the ward was really small. I don't know how they called it a ward. It probably should have been a branch. Or a twig. Um, Yes, (laughs) exactly. You know, myself, there was another um, family um, there that had a, a couple of daughters Um, And there was another family that had a son. So I want to say the youth program might have been five kids. And that was about it. So um, I remember as I got a little older that, uh, you know, they wanted to get a church building and they were trying to get to an average of 40 people for three months. And because Newport was on the coast, we got enough tourists that started coming to Newport that (laughs) we finally got got a a church building. But, um, you know, growing up and starting into the church at that age, it it was a little foreign to me, and it was just, you know, I went because my parents, this is what we're doing on on Sunday kind of thing, but, um, you know, the Central Oregon coast and Toledo, where I was, was not known as a religious community. I think there was one other kid that I knew. in my entire high school and my graduating class was 69 kids so if that tells you a little bit about the size of it I think there was one other kid that I would associate with outside of us that was even went to any kind of a church you know so um so anyway it was kind of like the environment I was in in church they were just kind of a little different I think I just kind of struggled a little bit to kind of figure out where I fit into that I kind of went through the motions you know and and did it with my family um but it's uh
0: did you want to like, did you think about a mission or was it more a focus on career, college? Like what were your plans in your mind when you finished high school?
1: So my focus was really on um, trying to get out of Toledo. Toledo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Because, you know, growing growing up, Everybody that was there pretty much had something to do with the logging community. The 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 you know there was a big paper mill there. Um, everybody either worked at the mill or or one of the mills or a lumber mill or was out in the logging woods or or was in one of maybe one of the businesses that supported it. So that was really the life. So I was just assumed as you got older, you know, that that's yeah, you know, I just follow the path that you know it all just works out right when you get older that's kind of how you think when you're a kid right it's like yeah I'm sure I'll go do something like my dad or my grandfather or something like that but as I got a little older um, this was in the early 80s that's when there was a big economic downturn and it hit that area really hard you know I'd hear about my you know my my dad, my grandfather talking about all these mills that were closing and other logging communities and people losing their jobs. And and so uh, I began to realize that that, was, that I was going to need to think of something else and do something else with my life. And so I I started getting real serious about school and thinking about getting an education. So I had a good friend, fortunately, that was kind of college brown that talked me into going to some classes you know some college prep classes with him in high school which I did and so I started getting real serious about that and I decided to to go to college so I didn't so for me it was all about if I really want to survive and I really want a life I've got to get out of Toledo and my parents weren't you know didn't have a lot of means. Um, they were, you know, we, we did fine. We weren't like poor or anything, but I always felt like, you know, my family's hardworking. I got to make it on my own. I got to go out and do like they've done and just work hard and kind of make my way. So my focus was really on um, going to, to college. So I immediately, you know, went out and started finding a job, start saving money for college and, and uh when I graduated from college, I, I went off to, to Oregon State University.
0: You mean when you graduated from high school?
1: <clears throat> yeah, when I graduated from high school, correct, yeah.
0: Okay, so you go to Oregon State, and where is your testimony at at this point? Like, what are you, what's your activity level in the church? Are you living with members of the church? Are you, what, are, what is it like when you head over there in regards to your faith? <laughs> You're laughing, well, Ken. Why are you laughing?
1: <laughs> so... Anybody, if they're familiar, I don't know where, what your podcast listening audience is, but if you're familiar with Oregon and Oregon State, right? So, so I, I get there and I uh, go into the dorms and I, ha- I have a room in the dorm. So I, I get there and I walk in and the dorm was anyth- probably not like anything I've ever seen before. So it was an old building built, very historic built in the 20s. And, um, you know, other dorms are much newer, but I get there and there's pictures like dragons, great big long dragons painted on the wall. There's people, so in the, in the dorm that I was in, people could do whatever they wanted to do to their rooms and in the outside, they could use their creative whatever and make them however they wanted. And so, um, People exercise their creativity and their freedom to put whatever they wanted. So there was anything from, you know, some like a little bit of nudity on people's doors to big dragons going down the hall and everything. And my parents dropped me off and they're like, well, good luck. It's like, I suppose you can transfer if you don't like it here, you know. So anyway, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. But I actually really, I actually really liked it. But it was, uh, you know, it was pretty much the, the atmosphere that you would think of in a in a college like that. You know, lots of drinking. You know, first thing I heard about was the party that was there that week, and it ended up with beer dripping off the walls and stuff like that. You know, so it was a very different atmosphere. Um, but I ended up really liking it because um, eventually I was able to get a room all to myself, kind of off in a distant corner, for the same price I could have a double room anywhere else you know, and getting to have all of my meals and go to the cafeteria and eat all of my meals was really good. And at that time, the prices were very reasonable. I mean, it was, you know, now my kids, you know, are, th- you know, are down at BYU and I'm looking at the cost of dorms and I'm like, with all the meal plans and I'm like, <laughs> that's not the way it was. Uh, the prices are much, much higher. So but anyway, it was an interesting environment.
0: And how was your activity in the church?
1: So I started out a little bit in the church, um, you know, went and checked it out, and I went a little bit. But the I I started out in a really tough major um, there. It was really hard.
0: What major was it?
1: I started out in engineering, and at that time it was very competitive. I don't know what it's like now, but it was very, very competitive in the sense that there was lots of weed out classes. And they the classes that you needed to get into the program when you were a junior were graded on a curve. And usually they were so difficult that they'd grade on a curve to be like the top 10% get A's, next 15% get B's, next 50% get C's, next 15% get D's, and the last 10% you get F's. And a lot of these, you know, calculus classes, chemistry, physics, you know, all of these, these classes that were required to get in. And then you know, and even to get into to the, some of those programs, you know, by the time you're junior year, you'd have to have a GPA average of like a 3.2 or a 3.3 in those classes. So if you figure it out, you know that that makes it very tough. So coming from a little high school like myself, I'm trying to compete against kids that have had calculus in high school. You know, my class had you know, the top end was like algebra and a little bit of trigonometry right I'm trying to compete for grades against these kids that have had all these other classes so it was really challenging <clears throat> and uh, so and and so I I started studying a lot on on Sundays and just went a little bit but then I I stopped going because my focus was so much on trying to to, to make up for the grades and to do well. And and the ward itself was really kind of different. It was mostly people that were married. Um, there really weren't many kids kind of in my similar situation. So it wasn't like I felt this sense of community in my ward or anything like that that drew me in from that standpoint. So, so, so I went for a little bit and then I, I just kind of fell away and didn't really didn't really go. And it wasn't like I had a super strong testimony, but I think I kind of sensed that I had one and it made sense to me, but it wasn't like I was this super strong kid because I didn't grow up in a, you know, a super strong background with great examples. I really didn't, you know, I had some, but not, not a lot, like maybe kids that had grown up in really strong active wards.
0: Did anybody from the ward try to reach out to you over time or did you kind of get lost? With all the numbers?
1: I don't really <laughs> remember much. Um, I, I mean, I don't really remember much like my freshman and early years. And then I kind of probably just disappeared because, you know, in future years I didn't go at all. And I don't even think they even, you know, knew about me. So, but I did, like I said, I went a little bit my freshman year, but after that I didn't go at all. So they wouldn't have even been able to assign anybody because I don't think anybody would have even known. Okay, so
0: Ken, when did the big, the big, I don't know how to word it, the desire to change, the desire to return to the faith, like what, what can you share where that kind of started for you, where that seed started planting and growing, and then what you did?
1: Yeah, so I would say it was probably like my, it would have been. I want to say probably about my fourth year. So I had my fourth year in college and I ended up going um, into like five years before I graduated. But I'd say probably about my fourth year, I started thinking a little bit about all right, you know, I've been so focused on school. What am I going to do when I get out? What really matters? And you know, what course who am I going to be and What course of life am I going to follow when I graduate? And I think I'd matured enough and just kind of watched people a little bit that I'd been around. And I saw some differences in people. And, you know, I I guess that's one of the great things about colleges and maybe someplace like that is you get exposed to a variety of different people. And in my dorm, where I was at, that I spent three out of my five years that I while I was there, there was a group of um, I, I don't know I, I would call them born again Christians. I, I don't remember exactly kind of what churches and what they really belonged to, but I'd say that they were kind of in that in that area of religion. And, and while I was there, sometimes they invite me to their Bible studies, and I would join with them and they were really great examples of people living their faith and there was a lo- there was quite a few of them there were a lot of them and so um i just watched them and i thought you know these people really have something of substance and of value that's different than others and so um as i reflected a little bit on my life I saw that and I thought, you know, there's something to them. There's something to religious people that's different than others. And they're more grounded. And I I happen to know and have being around some of them that they'd say things about, well, you're Mormon and this is what you believe. And I'd be like, well, I may not really be super strong or know a lot, but I know enough to know that the perspective you have about members of the church is not correct. And, and the beliefs that they would say about what's, you know, the way they would interpret the scriptures just didn't resonate with me. And it just didn't, you know, and I, and I began to really realize a lot about how much influence, even though I was kind of going through the motions and going to church and thought it was kind of going in one ear out the other, I realized that some of that really stuck with me. And so I I, I determined that if I were going to be happy when I got out, I needed to figure out what wh- who I was and what I was going to value and what was important, because that was going to influence who I was going to choose to marry, and I needed to figure that out. And so I determined that okay, yeah, I was I I grew up and spent the teenage years in the church, but I'm not just going to assume that's right. I'm really going to find out. So I started reading the Book of Mormon, and I said, and you know,
0: Ken, Ken, how old were you at this point? Then it was your third year, so. What, what, how old would you say you were 20, 21?
1: I'd say it was probably about 21, 20, okay. 21, 20, maybe 22, like right okay. around in there, 21, 22. Okay. That's so you start
0: old. reading the book of Mormon.
1: Yeah. So I start reading the book of Mormon. Meanwhile, while I'm doing that, I was making myself available. I mean, at had a friend I'd like, yeah, I'll go to church with you. You know, I was like anything I'm just, I'm out exploring. Like, I don't really just want to assume this is right. Cause this is what I grew up with. Even though I kind of feel there's something there, so I went to another church. I went with a friend. I um, I took a religion class at Oregon State, um, and I I sat through that, and I don't even remember what it was, but I remember being in it, and we were having to read this book all about faith, right? And it was like a couple hundred pages, and I was like, just it was just tough to get through, and I'm like man, I remember there's this chapter in Alma, I think Alma 32, and I go and read it. I'm like, I get more out of this one chapter than I get all out of this book. And I'm like, you guys, it's like, you guys are overcomplicating this, right? You know? And I just, but, but anyway, I was, um, so I was doing that. And I was just, I had all my feelers out trying to just take in information from everywhere and 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 I started praying like sincerely trying to know like I really want to know because whatever it is I knew that when I when I figure that out and I know for sure I'm jumping in with all with both feet right I am all I'm going to be all in that's going to be the course of life I'm going to live and I'm going to jump in um, completely so so I was doing that some time went by and kept doing that. And then where it all changed for me was, as I was sitting in a business class. And interestingly enough, that it was a business in its environment class. And the the course was really built on studying a variety of just different articles that the professor had selected, just thought that would be of interest. And it was just a variety of topics all over the place. And we would read these, and then we would just talk about them in class. So one of them was an, an article um, that the professor said was actually written by a guy at BYU, almost interestingly enough. And it was, I don't remember what it was called. It wasn't something that really appeared in a formal magazine. It wasn't something that came out. I couldn't really identify it that way. but. The subject of it was about Adam Smith and kind of the foundations for capitalism that was and so anyway while we were reading it it talked a little bit about capitalism and how it's really built on a moral foundation about trust and people dealing morally and ethically with one another and that as people live these higher, these values and all of that, that there's an unseen guiding hand that guides in the affairs of, of economics and things like that. And it, while we were talking about that, it just hit me. Um, even, it even chokes me up a little bit now. <laughs> but it came to me that that everything that I had grown up with, that it was all true. And so here I am, I'm sitting in this class and I'm like, like trying to like control myself. And I'm like, you know, like trying to make it obvious. I'm like, okay, everybody else is just a regular class, right, you know, it's like, but for me, it, it turned into something religious and spiritual and, you know, and I don't know why, but I think, you know, sometimes we're told that, you know, when we, we read and study and and all of that, that sometimes the answers come at, at other times. And so I, I feel like I was really putting the effort and I don't know why, but the Lord decided to really completely make it known to me in that moment. And as soon as it hit me, I knew that I knew what was going to happen. I mean, I knew I needed to serve a mission, and this was going to be, you know, the, the path in my life moving forward. And so, you know, true to what I had intended to do, um, you know, I I've, I've been all in since that time. And uh, and I actually ended up going longer at Oregon State. I could have graduated earlier, but I was so intent on making up for lost time of my life. <clears throat> that I, uh, I started taking like two institute classes, because I just like, you know, I didn't, I I think I felt like I was kind of like behind, right, because I just hadn't invested, you know, and and the gospel didn't feel like I really knew it well enough, and I I wanted to go out on a mission and be totally prepared, and so I started studying, and it was almost like then classwork, my regular schoolwork almost became a chore, something I just had to do, but everything else was just devoted to studying my scriptures and learning everything that I possibly could in preparation for serving a mission.
0: So you know Ken, I really firmly believe that Heavenly Father communicates with us through channels he knows we will understand and I know that I mean in your life your focus was you know your education and 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 doing well and being successful and I believe that that answer that came to you through that course, was literally his way of, this is how he, Ken hears, will hear me. Like, that's, that's what I believe, you know? Okay. So Ken, how long from that moment when you decided, okay, I'm all in, how long did it take you before you were able to submit your papers? And what were some things in that process that you learned as you were preparing to Go on a mission. You would be an older missionary. What are some things? Can you talk a little bit about that time frame?
1: Yeah, I'm going to guess and say it was probably this. Probably happened it was probably a little bit over a year before I submitted my papers. I want to say um, I want to say this probably was the spring of 1987 and. I left on my mission in June of 1988. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I finished up and then I just, you know, it was in this that following summer that I, I just, I went and met with my bishop and told him earlier what I wanted to do. And I probably could have put my papers in and started earlier, but again, I think for my own for me to really have confidence and to really go out, I, I felt like I needed to do more in preparation. I, I, that's where I just started taking institute classes and doing everything that I possibly could. I think I could have, maybe I could have, I can't remember when I graduated, I think I would have graduated in December, but I decided to stay an extra semester. I think that's really what it was. But I just, you know, I, I wanted to do everything I could to prepare.
0: Was there anything, any memory you have from your institute class that really impacted you? a lesson or anything like that
1: uh, you know um, you know it's interesting you should ask that because going back to the whole adam smith classroom discussion where i the testimony hit me one of the institute classes i took was the doctrine and covenants and the doctrine and covenants there's quite a bit in there about the law of consecration right and and that was something that really impressed me and i really liked just about how how um how we could use the gospel and live the gospel to bless others economically and and having kind of like this bigger vision of of what possibly the way things can be when we all live christ-like principles you know that there's you know that you know, as we learn in the Book of Mormon, or even after the new, te- you know, after Christ, that there was no poor among them, right, you know, that they really strive for some of those principles, that's something that I, I look at and think, kind of in ideal terms that, <clears throat> that, yeah, that is possible, and, and just trying to think in those terms, and it, it's just something that, you know, I would long to live in a society that's like that, and, and what, what can we do to prepare ourselves and maybe what might my role be someday and, you know, in fostering that kind of love and community. And so that was something that, uh, you know, impressed me. And, and I think I've always kind of dreamed about.
0: Wow, Ken, I've not heard many people say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you get a mission call, go ahead and tell everybody where you got called to.
1: So I got a call um, to the Buenos Aires North mission, so Spanish speaking.
0: Okay, how did you feel when you got your call?
1: Um, I can't remember. I actually, let's see. I, I remember now that I actually went and uh, I, I think I actually opened my call up myself. Um, you did. And I didn't do like you know i wasn't part of this whole culture that you know others have like you get the whole family together i don't even i don't even know if i even thought of that because i don't think i was even that connected to church culture to even know some of that but anyway i just anyway opened it up and i don't remember exactly what i felt but uh i think i was just excited no matter what where i was going to go but i think you know south america was you know, I'd heard a lot of great things about the work in South America. And so, uh, you know, I was excited to, to do that and be part of it.
0: So what did your mission teach you? I know there's a ton of things it probably taught you, but could you share just a couple um, life lessons you learned while you were serving?
1: Oh, let's see. Life lessons. <laughs> um, I'm not so sure I learned a lot of life lessons like maybe others might think of because you know many of the other missionaries that go out this is kind of like their maybe their first experience you know being away from home or maybe they had went to college and maybe a little bit but you know for me I'd already you know I was 23 years old when I went on my mission so I already had a fair amount of life experience. I think I was more serious about the work. Than probably most others were. As a matter of fact, my mission president, when I got there, um, he looked down and he was like, "Oh, you're 23. I see you've already graduated from college." <laughs> and he's like, he said, "Well, he, he said, you know, I'm going to expect more out of you as a missionary than than others." And he said, "Don't be afraid to tell others that you've got a college degree." I don't know why he said that. Maybe there had been somebody else that was. <laughs> afraid to do, to do that but he said don't don't be afraid you know you don't have to you know hide that or anything like that don't don't you know that's that's great and then after that um, he started assigning me to other missionaries i think at first some of them that were maybe a bit more challenging we'll say that <laughs> and um Anyway, it was it was a struggle. And so finally, um, after I'd been into my mission for a little bit, I finally just had to approach my mission president and say, look, I I came here to work and and I'm, you know, I'm I'm not here to be a babysitter. And I just had to, to do that and just have that kind of call with them. And after that it all changed. And I had, you know, I I had some some very good companions. And, and not all of them were bad, it's just that there was just something that made it, you know, more, more difficult in some of those situations. Um, so anyway, um, but after that, it was, you know, it was, it was great. Um, but I had some incredible experiences, some teaching the gospel. Um, one of the things that I, I got to do on my mission is when I graduated from Oregon State, I actually I should tell you this, I didn't graduate in engineering, I actually transitioned over into business and I graduated with a degree in financial management. So one of the things that was interesting that I got to do when I was in Argentina is I got to be the, um, the finance guy, the guy that handled all the finances for the mission, got everybody their money, paid all the expenses and did all of that. I did that for six months. And that was a very, very interesting time in Argentina. Um, at that time, when I, when I arrived on my mission in Argentina, the currency then was the Austral. And when I arrived there, it was like the current the exchange rate was like 15 to one, 15 Australis to a dollar. Within like two months, it was 16 to one. So it went up a little bit. From that point in time, one year later, it went from 15, from 16 to one to 3000 to one. And so it was very, very challenging in Argentina during that time period. People where they would get paid and so they would immediately because the inflation was so high in the country, that there was no way they could save money in their own currency. So the only thing they would do is they would go and buy dollars. Well, dollars and exchange rates are based on kind of supply and demand, right? The more demand there is for the currency, the, the more it will go up. So there was lines out the bank, like you'd think of if, if any of anybody's familiar with like the great depression, there was lines out the banks, out the doors of the bank, people trying to get in to exchange their money to buy dollars and very distressing And so we were a little different um, because we needed to have the local currency and we had dollars. so uh, it was it was very interesting to be the financial person at that time. I mean I'll tell you a little story that just of interest sake. Um, when I was doing that I had exchanged all the money for 200 missionaries and at that time they they didn't have the you know the400 dollars for every you know, for every mission, no matter what mission you went to, our mission was $200 then, and I'd go in and exchange like about $40,000. And so if you can imagine two young men dressed in trench coats, white shirts, we would walk in because we were exchanging dollars, I had it worked out that I could walk to the front of the line not have to stand in this great big line. I would walk in with my briefcase, my trench coat, my companion, we'd walk in exchange $40,000 for the month, get the local currency. And it was. And if you can imagine, I don't know what it is, but if you take $40,000 and multiply it by 3000, that's a lot of Australia. So it was bundles and bundles and bundles of money. And so we looked like we were robbing the bank we literally <laughs> would fill up our trench coats and I'd be handing him like w- my companion wads of money and we'd be filling up our briefcase and then we would walk out like really nervous because here's all these people that were standing in line watching me get all this money and then head for the door and watching over our backs trying to make sure nobody was following us so that we could get back to uh our mission offices and then I'd start putting all the money in envelopes and trying to get it out to all the missionaries for the month. Fortunately, the, the church changed while I was in there. And one of the things I was able to do is, um, is change over so that we didn't have to withdraw all that money. And we got it set up so that we could actually deposit money into accounts that missionaries could take out with like, you know, like a debit card so that they'd actually could get it whenever they wanted to. But yeah, it was... That was something that was very interesting and part of the, the times, you know, uh, you know, in Argentina. And so, you know, it was... Uh, and, and one of the other things I got to do was to ch- just change and automate all of the processes in the office. We had a, a zone leader that was very gifted, um, not only spiritually, but also in technology. And so together, he and I worked on that together and were able to automate a lot of the processes that we had around the financial system. And so, yeah, I I can't, can't help but think that that was part of the reason that I got called to Argentina and to do that work.
0: Oh, totally. Do you have a story of teaching the gospel to somebody that you could share with us?
1: Oh, teaching the gospel. Um, let's see. Um, trying to think if there's one that would stand out. Um, The beauty of the country was, is that there was so many people that we could teach. The challenge was almost like trying to sort out those that were just like to talk to you and really weren't progressing and you'd have to kind of cut them off um, just because they weren't progressing. So it was one of the the beautiful things about it. But um, um, I remember one uh, woman that, um, that we taught the gospel to and she started describing dreams that she was having, and she was really struggling trying to commit to the gospel. I think she felt the spirit, knew it was true, but yet she she, she, she felt like she would be um, separating herself from her family and all the cultural tradition, right, of, of, the, of the Catholic church that was, you know, kind of the prevailing religion at the time down there. And but she started describing um, inside the temple. She started describing like being in this place and started describing, you know, what was some things about that you would only know if you'd been inside the temple. And we had to work with her and, you know, and gently try to help her really understand what she was really feeling and what she was experiencing. And while she was reluctant and to join the church because she felt like she would, you know, was not holding true to her family traditions and all of that, helping her to really understand the power of the temple and, you know, and the, the work that goes on in the temple for, you know, your ancestors and, you know, and helping her to understand that we were quite certain that there were people on the other side of the veil that were, you know, prompting her and helping her to know, that they really needed her to do this work for them. And so uh, eventually we were able with the spirit to be able to help her to understand and eventually she, she was baptized. So, so that was probably one of the, the neater stories that was kind of special.
0: Oh, Ken, that's awesome. Okay, so you came home from your mission, you're about 25 years old, is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, yep, I was 25.
0: Okay, you've got your degree. You now head to another small town, right?
1: Um, well, yes and no. Um, so I ended up in a smaller town, but um, the path there was a little bit more challenge. So I, I, so I came home, um, but I, I, I knew I was going to, you know, enter into the workforce. And you know, growing up in Toledo, that wasn't where I was going to find a job. <laughs> so. So I I went to live with my aunt in Portland, um, where I thought there would be more job opportunities. So I lived with her for a little bit and started attending um, a brand new single adult ward in downtown Portland. And, uh, and I I started focusing on and I don't know how much to detail to give you here. um, But um, I I decided to, to didn't, was in the temple one day kind of trying to decide what to do and I walk out the the Portland Oregon temple and I don't know if it's still the same but if you walk out the front doors of the temple I look across the freeway across I-5 and there's a big farmer's insurance building I
0: don't know if it's still there yeah but I think it is I think it is it is okay (laughs) I think so yeah
1: anyway I'm like I'm like I'm just gonna go walk in there it looks like some sort of headquarters building so I just walk in the ground floor and walk in one day and I said I asked him I'm like what kind of jobs do you guys have for people that are have a college degree? And they said, well we, we have we hire people that are claims adjusters, underwriters and insurance agents. I'm like tell me about a claims adjuster I'm not sure I know what that is and what's an underwriter Anyway, when they described to me what a claims adjuster was I just I, I, it just resonated with me I'm like this sounds so interesting and I had done a little bit of research because I'd been in financial management I thought I could do that but what other options would there be? And and uh, I had to, you know analyzed my skills and read a book I think called "What Color Is Your Parachute?" and talked about how to go through and do it, you know. Anyway, when they told me that, it just sounded like really really neat. And so um, after that, I started focusing on claims adjuster jobs and uh, applying for everything that I could possibly find. And uh, eventually, uh, I ended up uh, getting a job. Um, with a work, big workers' comp fund in Oregon called Safe Corporation. If anybody from Oregon is familiar with that, they I'm sure would recognize that name and became a claims adjuster and um, moved to Salem and, uh, and uh, lived there for uh, a while. And I started up a single adult ward out in Monmouth. And uh, so I uh, started going there and, and uh, you probably know the story from there.
0: Yes, I do. <laughs> Then you and Gina met, you got married, you have four kids. So can, can you just share a few of the blessings that you have seen come into your life because of the decision you made to get a firm testimony and find out for yourself that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. Uh, and that you knew that you wanted your life to be a life grounded in the foundation of Christ. So, what are some of the blessings that have come to your life since that time until now? Because now your youngest is out of the house. They're in there, you know, three are in at BYU, one is married with child, two children. I mean, you've been an incredible father, a credible husband. You have served in the church faithfully um, the whole uh, 26 years that I've known you. So, Ken, what's, what are some of the blessings that you have seen come into your life because of the, that decision as a young, you know, early twenties that you made?
1: Well, I would say the biggest is probably my wife and and meeting her. I mean, my wife grew up very differently than I did. Um, you know, she grew up very strong in the church and always knew what she wanted and, and all of that. Um, had I not, you know, served a mission and done and lived my life the way she would never have been interested in me. And just I'll tell you another little side note here. Before I went on my mission, one of the things I told the Lord, because I'm like, I, I knew I wanted to serve a mission, but there was kind of a parting that said, I know I could go out and get a job right now, but... <laughs> I asked, I actually asked the Lord for one thing before I went on my mission, I'm like, when I get done with my mission, will you help lead me to the person that I'm supposed to marry? Because I just didn't know. I'm like, can I get it right? Am I going to get it right? How do I know? And, you know, and I, and so I, I really prayed and asked the Lord for that, almost like I'm going to serve this mission, but would you do this for me? Right. <laughs> when I get back. and. I was definitely, you know, led to my wife. And that's, you know, another story, but definitely, um, definitely led to her. And, you know, and we can definitely see that now. And, um, you know, and now as I reflect and I look at the kind of life that my kids have had and all of that in terms of just experiences in the church and having many youth and others around them, um, it's just um, you know been incredible for me to kind of see the growth in them and um and just how they've really taken to the gospel as as well and i you know I'd like to think that uh, you know some of that is just as a result of um, you know of, of things that I have gra- gained and learned through the gospel and my mission have rubbed off on them so Hopefully, hopefully it'll stick It's so far. So good. We'll see. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. Ken, my last question that I ask all of my interviewers, interviewees (laughs) is how do you seek light on a daily or regular basis? What do you do to seek
1: light? To seek light. Um, Uh, good question. Um, I think a lot of it is just looking to the Lord. I I, I think of the story, um, can't remember which general conference it was, where they, they get in the elevator and the general authority is newly called, and I can't, was it President Monson or somebody that can't remember walked in, I can't remember which prophet said something, and, and uh, he said, you know, look up, and I just, in my own mind's eye, I've I've learned through experience that if I just, if I feel anxious about something, or I don't know about something, if I just turn my thoughts and heart, in a sense, and look up, that that when I do that, I, I find this sense of light. It doesn't maybe always reveal all the answers to the questions I may have then, but I get this reassurance that comes to me that the Lord is there, and it will be okay, and... I, and and that's really come to me after going through some trials and different things but i it's one of the great blessings that I feel like I've had in my life and and being able to to really look up and find that light and to feel that it's okay has been a great thing for me in my life and and something that I treasure and something that I, I kind of feel like is kind of the the pearl of great price. Right.
0: (laughs) So. Uh, Well, Ken, thank you for being the incredible example to me and for all the years that you've supported my relationship with Gina. (laughs) 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 So thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.